the impeachment proceedings of President Donald Trump. Liberals are watching intently, sure that Trump is guilty of treason, bribery, high crimes, and or misdemeanors. Conservatives contend this is a Democrat-led show trial aimed at attempting to keep Donald Trump from a second term. What would America's founders say? Better yet, what did they say regarding impeachment? This episode of Hidden Headlines will equip you to take a stand with the truth as we dig beneath the mainstream media's headlines in this edition of Hidden Headlines. Welcome to Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. I'm Brian Sussman. This is episode 52. By the way, I appreciate your listenership. Tens of thousands of you have now heard these Hidden Headlines podcasts via SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play and many other outlets. A few of the major podcast syndicators have contacted me to join their group of podcasters, but I haven't made any decisions at this time because If and when I go that route, I want to make sure I'm with the right partner. Trust me, in the world of podcasting, (laughs) there really isn't any money to be made, so that's not why I'm doing it. I really just want the proper distribution partner because I'm passionate about these podcasts. Also, if you could take the time to subscribe to this podcast, I would really appreciate it. You won't go on a mailing list, but you will be notified when a fresh hidden headline show is available. Most people, quite frankly, never subscribe, but it is something that the syndicators have commented on. So, all that said, let's get into this. Let's go back to 1787, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. It was winding down. The draft of the United States Supreme Law was almost finished, and George Mason, George was the author of Virginia's Declaration of Rights, he was becoming alarmed. Over the course of the convention, this 61-year-old gentleman had come to fear that the powerful new government his colleagues were creating was, well, there might be some flaws. Flaws that would allow the president to become a tyrant, a tyrant as oppressive as King George III, So on September 8th, 1787, he rose to ask his fellow delegates a question. Why were treason and bribery the only grounds in the draft constitution for impeaching the president? Because up to that point, it was just treason and bribery. Now, keep in mind, George Mason was, again, he was a big deal. He was 61 years old. He was the author of Virginia's Declaration of Rights. He'd been around the block. A 36-year-old fellow Virginian stood up, and there was quite the back and forth. The guy's name was James Madison. So in their back and forth, Mason said, okay, Mr. Madison, how about this? How about this? Let's design another category of impeachable offenses known as high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, back then, high crimes and misdemeanors really had a ring to it. I mean, they all knew what that entailed. But nowadays, question mark, What does that even mean? Well, the founders did leave us some guidance regarding its interpretation. So now let's bring in another Virginian, another young guy, 33-year-old delegate Edmund Randolph. He did the most 
to set down a vision of when Congress should remove a president from office. It was his influence on Madison and Mason that got them to this particular point in the Constitutional Convention. Though the men, by the way, had very different positions on the Constitution. Their debates in Philadelphia and at Virginia's ratifying convention in Richmond produced crucial definitions of an impeachable defense. Now, keep in mind... As these three and the other founding fathers were drafting the Constitution, what they were doing was trying to avoid a repeat of the situation that they had just fought a war to free themselves from, a ruler with unchecked power. So this was of monumental importance to these men. It should also be mentioned that these three Virginians took on leading roles at the Constitution Convention as soon as it convened back in May. Mason was the first delegate to argue that the government needed a check on the executive's power. He said some mode of displacing an unfit magistrate was necessary without making the executive a mere creature of the legislature. So in other words, they wanted the president to have some power, and they wanted the president to be independent from the House and the Senate, but at the same time, they needed to keep a certain amount of reins on that particular figure. So there was a short debate. The convention then agreed to the language proposed in what they called the Virginia Plan. The executive would, quote, be removable on impeachment and conviction of malpractice or neglect of duty. That was a broad legal standard that the delegates would later rewrite. However, a guy named Charles Pickney from South Carolina and Governor Morris of Pennsylvania moved to strike down the impeachment provisions altogether. That's right. They moved to strike down the impeachment provisions. Quote, this is Morris talking. If the president should be reelected, that will be sufficient proof of his innocence. Impeachment will render the executive dependent on those who are to impeach. So in other words, he was saying power to the people. If they elect this guy, but at the same time, his colleagues in the convention were saying, but that's not enough. Mason, Madison, and Randolph all spoke up to defend the concept of impeachment. Mason asked, shall any man be above justice? A presidential candidate might bribe the electors to gain the presidency, Mason suggested. Madison argued waiting four years to vote a president out of office in a general election wasn't good enough. Said Madison, he might pervert his administration into a scheme of peculation, embezzlement, or oppression. Madison also warned he might betray his trust to foreign powers. Of course, One might argue that was their greatest fear. Randolph agreed on both those fronts. He said the executive will have great opportunities of abusing his power, particularly in time of war, when the military force and in some respects the public money will be in his hands. The delegates voted eight states to two to make the executive removable by impeachment. So it became ensconced in our Constitution. Now, it's interesting because if you go back further into the writings, the three men from Virginia borrowed their model for impeachment from the British Parliament. 
For 400 years, English lawmakers had used impeachment to exercise some control over the king's ministers. Often, Parliament invoked it to check abuses of power, including improprieties and attempts to subvert the state. But unlike in Britain, where impeachment was a matter of criminal law that could actually lead to a prison sentence, the Virginia plan proposed that the impeachment process lead only to the president's removal from office and disqualification from holding future office. And then after removal, the Constitution says, the president can still be indicted and put on trial in a regular court of law. Now, again, we need to keep in mind the various states were coming up with their own proposals here. The proposal from Virginia wanted impeachment to be handled by the federal judiciary. So, in other words, there would be a trial in front of federal justices. The New Jersey plan only had a removal process if a majority of state governors petitioned for it. So it's giving power back to the various states. However, it was a New York delegate named Alexander Hamilton who came up with a compromise. His compromise was modeled after the British system of removing public officials. In Britain, it worked like this. You had a lower chamber acting as a grand jury in deciding on an indictment, and then the upper chamber acting as the trial jury. And that's what we have today. You have the House of Representatives voting to indict, or I should say voting to impeach, and then the Senate acting as the trial jury. It's interesting because back then, some wanted to have the Supreme Court be the final arbiter in deciding an impeachment conviction, But Alexander Hamilton argued that only senators could be independent enough to thoroughly judge a president instead of justices that may have been appointed by that same president under accusation. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) Maybe I should just say that sounded good in 1787. But I'm telling you something. When I was reading this, I just thought how how we've so messed up this system in the United States of America. Because Alexander Hamilton said only senators could be independent enough to thoroughly judge a president. At this point, you are laughing out loud because (laughs) this is 1787. Keep in mind, the senators back then were elected by the legislatures in their home states. The people didn't elect them. They were elected by the legislature. So when a legislature would turn over, you would get a different breed of cat in that Senate seat. But now, I mean, I think of the Senate personally, and I think of partisanship, I think of liberalism, and I think of unbelievable wealth. Like like Mark Warner of Virginia. Mark Warner of Virginia is the Democrat He's worth $243 million. Dianne Feinstein of California is worth $94 million. Dick Blumenthal of Connecticut, $85 million. Now, with that kind of money, and when you have a legacy of being elected again and again and again, you are a powerful political machine. There's no way you're going to be independent and above the political fray. 
Keep in mind, as I mentioned, the Constitution originally had senators being elected not by the people, but by their state's legislature. The election process then made for senators to become true statesmen, not the rich politicians for life that they have become. All of this ended in 1913 with the passage of the 17th Amendment. And I'm telling you something, that 17th Amendment sucks. That, that absolutely was a nail in our coffin in this country. But I digress, as I often do on Hidden Headlines. So here's Hamilton, Federalist Paper number 65. Where else than in the Senate could have been found a tribunal sufficiently dignified or sufficiently independent? Well, that's what we were led to believe back then, but those times have changed. That ship has sailed. Those days are long gone. But continuing, Hamilton also said, what other body... He's talking about the Senate. What other body would be likely to feel confidence enough in its own situation to preserve unawed and uninfluenced the necessary impartiality between the individual accused and the representatives of the people, his accusers? Wow. We are so so screwed. That 17th Amendment did us in big time back in 1913. And guess what? Most people are completely unaware of its origin. You know, it seems that even the brilliant Alexander Hamilton underestimated the political schemes played today by this brand of slimy senators in the United States of America. So now let's fast forward to September of 1787. The delegates hadn't resolved impeachment's toughest question. What exactly was an impeachable offense? On September 4th, the Committee on Postponed Matters named to resolve the convention's thorniest disputes. And one of those, of course, was impeachment. So they replaced the phrase malpractice or neglect of duty which was the standard for impeachment, with a much narrower one, treason and bribery. Treason and bribery. Limiting impeachment to treason and bribery cases, Mason warned on September 8th, quote, will not reach many great and dangerous offenses. To make his case, he pointed to an impeachment taking place that they were all aware of at the time in Great Britain, of Warren Hastings, Hastings was the governor general of India. He'd been impeached in May of that year, the same month the U.S. Constitutional Convention opened, by the way. The House of Commons charged Hastings with a mix of criminal offenses and non-criminal offenses, including confiscating land and provoking a revolt in parts of India. Hastings' trial by the House of Lords was pending while the American delegates were debating in Philadelphia. Mason argued to his fellow delegates that Hastings was accused of abuses of power, not treason, and that the Constitution needed to guard against a president who might commit misdeeds like those alleged against Hastings. By the way, uh, Hastings was eventually acquitted by the House of Lords. So here we have Mason fearing an unchecked, out-of-control president. Now, these delegates to the convention were all very, very sharp and incredibly (laughs) well-educated. 
and and their use of the English language was far superior to uh, most of us today. But Mason, fearful of an unchecked, out-of-control president, proposed adding maladministration, maladministration, as a third cause for impeaching the president. Such a charge, he said, was already grounds for impeachment in six states, including Virginia, so maladministration. But on this point, Madison objected. He saw a threat to the balance of powers that he helped devise. Quote, so vague a term, maladministration, that Mason feared the Senate would use this word as an excuse to remove the president whenever it wanted. Some would argue that this is kind of what Democrats are doing with Donald Trump today. So Mason offered a substitute. He called it other high crimes and misdemeanors against the state. Now, the English parliament had included a similarly worded phrase in its articles of impeachment. I mean, this is going back to the year 1450, so it had been around for a while. This compromise that was proposed by Mason satisfied Madison and most of the other convention delegates. They approved Mason's amendment without further debate, eight states to three, but added the words against the United States. So again, it would read high crimes and misdemeanors against the United States to avoid total ambiguity. Now, I think this is really key. Unfortunately for everyone who has argued since about what an impeachable offense is, the convention's Committee on Style and Revision, that was the committee that was supposed to improve the draft Constitution's language without changing its meaning, deleted the phrase against the United States. Without that phrase, which explained what constitutes high crimes, many Americans came to believe that high crimes literally meant only crimes identified in criminal law. And then there are today's members of Congress, like House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, who is using his own version of wordsmithing to accuse Donald Trump of bribery. Schiff recently told National Public Radio, quote, bribery, first of all, as the founders understood bribery, it was not as we understand it in law today. It was much broader. It connoted the breach of public trust in a way where you're offering official acts for some personal or political reason, not in the national interest. That's a stretch, to say the least. L let's be real here. This impeachment is all about winning the White House getting two-thirds of the Senate to go along with removing President Trump was never going to happen. It's not going to happen. So instead, House Democrats are using the impeachment inquiry to sway November's vote. That's it. Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, and the others will be able to stand before the cameras and say, he was impeached. Well, yes, he was impeached in one body of Congress the House of Representatives, but he will be acquitted in the Senate. And quite frankly, it's the same thing that the Republicans did with Bill Clinton. He was impeached. Well, yes, in the House of Representatives he was, but not in the Senate, not in the Senate. So this is all about winning the White House for the Democrats. 
Now, for their part, Senate Republicans are embracing a trial, reportedly in the hope that a drawn-out process will keep Democrat presidential candidates in the Senate off the campaign trail during their crucial primaries in Iowa and New Hampshire. I mean, really, that, that's, part of the, that's part of the deal here. But at the same time, this is going to go nowhere. I, quite frankly, believe that the American public is, is sick of this. Um, really? Really? You really think people are glued to their TVs watching this kind of stuff all day long? I've been watching the ratings from all the networks, and they're pathetic. You know, today's Congress, quite frankly, would be unrecognizable to the Founding Fathers. The Founding Fathers understood that a concentration of power threatens individual liberty. So they designed this government with three branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, and gave each the means to check the other. By dispersing power into competing institutions, the Founders' constitutional design serves as a bulwark for freedom. We are the envy of the world, the way this thing was set up. Oh, my gosh. In many ways, I believe it was an act of God. I'm serious. When you look at all of the good that has come from the United States of America, if you look at all of the wonderful things that have happened because of our military intervention, just look no further than World War II. Uh, guess what? Had we not intervened, you would have a whole lot of people speaking German and you would have, well, I think of my own family, last name Sussman. I don't know what would happen to the Jewish people. And then you look at the Japanese side of the equation. And Imperial Japan had eyes on much of the world as well. And then you look at the charitable, the charitable aspects of the United States of America. All the good things we have done around the world with money. Not just government money, but especially money from private individuals to feed the hungry and bring the good news of things like the Bible to portions of the world where they didn't have that kind of thing and where lives have truly been changed as a result. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of what's happened with the United States of America over the years. Are we perfect? Nope. But we're a heck of a lot better. <laughs> you Well, how about this? Show me another country that's better. Show me one. Show me another country that's done so much for the world other than the United States of America. So I'm just telling you, what was going on at this constitutional convention was, in my opinion, anointed. But that's just me. Let's continue. Today's Congress would be unrecognizable. You know, at present, this constitutional design is buckling under the weight of partisanship. It's terrible. This impeachment brouhaha is the latest obvious example. Rather than competing with the president, both chambers in Congress are leveraging the proceedings to conduct partisan political campaigns for the presidency. The Dems especially want their candidate to win, and the Republicans, of course, want their candidate to win as well. The problem is, over the last century, Congress has given away or delegated much of its policymaking. 
to a system of committees, to committees, party leadership, the executive branch. In other words, Congress has lost the capacity to oversee its own delegations. In the power vacuum that's been left behind, modern presidents have seized undisputed supremacy over the administrative state by increasing control over agency budgets and regulatory management. Policy basically now flows from the White House. So it is a big deal who's in office. For example, I'll give, I'll give you two quick examples. Congress couldn't pass immigration reform. But Obama did. He did it with DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Congress denied President Trump funding to build a border wall. But then he exercised his delegated authority to declare an emergency and began to fund the wall unilaterally. And the Democrats have been up in arms ever since, tried to stop it every way they can. So in this context, it becomes apparent why Pelosi and Schumer and Schiff and the rest are so hell-bent on recapturing the White House. It also explains why they remain so infuriated that Donald Trump won. They can't get over it. An impeachment investigation into a sitting president is serious. It's got to be conducted fairly and transparently. And instead, what do we have? We have Democrats conducting most of their proceedings in secret. And even during public hearings, they refused to bring in key witnesses. They blocked Republicans' questions and requests. They violated House rules in the process. They rushed to judgment. They held the hastiest, most partisan impeachment process in our history. And guess what? They have a willing media on their side. The American people are just clearly unaware. And think of their articles of impeachment and their so-called obstruction of Congress charge. That's right, obstruction of Congress They knew they couldn't get the president on obstruction of justice, which is an actual federal crime, by the way. So they come up with something new. These clever little wordsmiths come up with something new. Obstruction of Congress. Their decision is an outrageous abuse of power and a complete rejection of the Constitution. You know, disagreements and disputes between the executive branch and the legislative branch are commonplace. They occur during every presidential administration. And the U.S. Constitution specifically empowers our federal courts to serve as the umpire in these kind of disputes. But Adam Schiff recently stated, are you ready for this? He recently stated that attempts by the Trump administration to have neutral federal courts decide if the executive branch must acquiesce to legislative demands would, quote, be considered further evidence of obstruction of justice. Okay, by that standard, most presidents would have been impeached by the White House. You know, th- this, this sham impeachment, and that's what it is, is solely about preventing President Trump from being reelected. In fact, it, it's, it's even more than they, they want to nullify the 2016 election. They want to remove him from office now. And in their haste and in their partisanship, House Democrats have denied due process and subverted some of the most fundamental principles of our constitutional republic. That's right, I said constitutional republic, not constitutional democracy, constitutional republic. 
They are setting our country on a course to a dangerous place where partisan disagreements with little evidence can become grounds for hyperpartisan impeachments. This is, this is a constitutional crisis, my friends. And guess what? This constitutional crisis may likely come back to haunt the very Democrats who are pushing it forward down the line. Hidden headlines. Faith, family, freedom. Thanks for joining me, everyone. If you liked what you heard, please share with a friend and don't forget to subscribe. More at briansussman.com. Until next time, as my callers used to tell me on the radio, I will now hang up on myself.